Congressman Chip Roy of Texas says that he just spotted Puerto Rico in the Gulf of Mexico. Finally, the CARES Act goes through and President Trump signs it into law. Meanwhile, Governor Vasquez extends the curfew and provides a $787 million relief package. I'm Ivan Gonzalez, and this is Inside the Colony. Alright everybody, welcome back to another podcast of Inside the Colony. Let's start this podcast a little bit different than the previous ones. Let's start with a with a story, a story that I want to share with all of you. This is very important for the understanding of this podcast in particular. Let, let's, let's commence. It was a sunny day in the state of Texas. A perfect day, I should say, to abide by the social distancing efforts in order to combat COVID-19. Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, a Republican, thought, well, gosh, what can I probably do to help in this crisis and at the same time social distance myself? Ah, he exclaimed. Of course, he thought to himself. Let's go to Port Freeport. And what am I going to do in Port Freeport, he said? Well, I'm going to explore the Gulf of Mexico in my yacht. And so, he decided to drive all the way to Port Freeport. He got in his beloved yacht and started his exploration voyage. He called this trip the Section 936 Revival Trip. But down came the night, followed by a fierce storm that seemed to challenge the yacht's very best stabilizers. Chip hurried to the control room and made the required SOS transmissions. No one answered. He was, in fact, alone. And with the instrument clusters not working anymore, he did not know where he was headed to. He was concerned with the Section 936 revival mission. But no matter the outcome, he was to continue on the wheel, steering the precious yacht out of its misery, and so he continued to steer and steer and steer into safety. But nature took its toll. It was much to bear. But day finally came. Sunlight. A warm, comforting breeze. Birds singing. Cloudless sky. Chip started to wake up. And focusing on the horizon... He sees something, something that he was not expecting to see. Ahoy! Chip exclaimed. He has just found land. Ahoy! He screamed his lungs like his life depended on it. He finally got up, changed his clothes, and got out of the yacht. He stepped on the island. He was not sure what he just discovered, but he called the island Puerto Rico. Little did he know that in reality, he was at the barrier islands in the Gulf of Mexico. What a great social distancing destiny, he thought to himself. Suddenly, he receives a radio transmission. A guy ran by the name of Aníbal Acevedo Vila. Chip didn't know the man, but apparently he understood 
that the man knew him. He sounded like a scoundrel, thought Chip, but he needed help. Acevedo Vila gave an idea to Chip. He made an offer that he could not refuse, at least not so easily. He mentioned Chip that in order to beat China and China's manufacturing sector, he would need to create or revive the Section 936 model in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico, the island that he just discovered in the Gulf of Mexico. And of course, all this is just fake, but I couldn't help to wonder and imagine how Congressman Chip Roy managed to say on his congressman website that Puerto Rico, an island in the Caribbean, ended up <laughs> in the Gulf of Mexico. And this is not made up. He actually said that, and he wrote that on his webpage. But now we know, now we know, how he ended up supporting this crazy idea, the revival of Section 936 manufacturing sector in Puerto Rico. And I am going to explain to you in more detail what is, what was, I should say, Section 936, a section that was repealed by Congress in 1996. They gave it a 10-year phase-out period, and it ended up being phased out by 2006. But before we dive in into the specifics of what Congress found about Section 936, back in 1994, before they repealed the section. Let's go back and, and, ex and explain to you in a, in, a, in a very summarized, very quick way, what is Section 936. So, the 1976 Act, this is taken from the Gao Report, and I'm quoting, the, the 1976 Act created Section 936, which revised the treatment of possessions source income. Since 1983, over 99% of the benefits of this section have gone to companies operating in Puerto Rico. The Joint Committee on Taxation estimates that federal revenue foregone due to the Section 936 tax credit will total $3.9 billion in fiscal year 1994. Under Section 936, the tax credit equals the full amount of the U.S. income tax liability on possessions source income. Firms qualify for the credit if, over a three-year period preceding a taxable year, 80% or more of their income was derived from sources within a possession and 75% or more of their income was derived from an active conduct of a business. This provision effectively exempts possession source income from U.S. taxation. Dividends repatriated from a U.S. subsidiary to a mainland parent qualify for a dividends received deduction, thus allowing tax-free repatriation of possessions income. In addition, the provision exempts from U.S. taxation the income earned on qualifying investments made by Section 936 firms from their profits earned in the possessions. End of quote. Let's dive in now into what is going on now with the COVID-19. What is, why is this Section 936 being brought up now in, 2000, in 2020, right? Well, it's all related, again, like I said, to COVID-19. As you may all know, be well aware, there's a, there's a huge reliance on Chinese manufacturing and, you know, basically manufacturing plants that are located in China uh, to produce medical equipment and medical uh, supplies and, uh, you know, pharmaceuticals and whatnot. 
So there's a, a heavy dependence on that in the in, uh, from, you know from the part of the U.S. So technically, because of what's going on with the Wuhan virus, COVID nineteen, there's been increased talks and increased lobbying in Congress about bringing those obviously those manufacturing jobs and those manufacturing plants back to the U.S. soil. And one of the things that um, it's been talked about is the fact that you could do that in none other than Puerto Rico. And why Puerto Rico? Well, well, because we had this section 936 that was so great back in the uh, in the day, and it, it created a lot of jobs, very awesome jobs, great you know uh, uh, high salary and highly compensated jobs, and it moved the economy forward. And it, it, and we can we can do that now. The people that are arguing that we should bring something similar to Section Nine Thirty Six because obviously Section Nine Thirty Six is not going to be brought back. But but they're arguing and they're argumenting that they should bring something similar to it. Um, they're arguing that because they think that or they believe Section Nine Thirty Six created good paid jobs. It moved the economy forward. And at the same time, uh, it's, if, if, you know, if it's reenacted again, it's going to help the U.S. But also, one of the arguments that they're bringing up is that they're saying this is a recognition that the repealing of Section 936 was a mistake. Their belief is that it was a mistake. And what better way to say that it was a mistake than to actually say, hey, you should not have repealed that back then. Because look at that. Look at now. Now you're dependent 100% in China when you could have had all those things here in Puerto Rico in U.S. soil. Well, guess what? You repealed the damn thing. So, you know, tough luck. But hey, we're here. We're still here. We have, we have the resources here. We have the capabilities. We have the engineers. We have the people. We have the infrastructure. Okay, so bring it back. Hello. This is Puerto Rico. We're here back. Okay, yeah, sure. Count us in. So this is their this is their thoughts. Now, let's let's dive in into what uh, a, a new uh, column by uh, Teresita Fuentes. This was, this is CPA, uh, very very renowned CPA in Puerto Rico, and, and she was uh, during this administration, she was the uh, secretary of the uh, of, of Hacienda, basically the the Puerto Rico Treasury Department, and and she wrote a, an article in the uh, Weekly Journal, and I quote. Uh, U.S. Section 936 repealed, yep, that's how it reads today. However, the debate surrounding Section 936 of the U.S. Code and the downfall of the manufacturing industry in Puerto Rico has been discussed for the last 25 years. Section 931 preceded Section 936 and provided tax benefit to U.S. companies operating in the Philippines due to the economic disadvantages of applicable tax rules. Section 931 evolved into Section 936 after the 1976 federal tax reform, providing benefits to manufacturing operations in U.S. territories, creating strong economies in this, and ensuring that the production of essential goods remained within the United States. Many Americans today would say that's the perfect deal, quality jobs and U.S. production of goods, yet, according to experts, Section 936 had the effect of moving Puerto Rico's economy towards relying on manufacturing and industrial endeavors, specifically pharmaceutical and electronic companies. Over the years, and as a result of questionable lobbying, look at this, questionable lobbying, 
Section, I mean, you, you can see it's so unbiased. I mean, right from the get-go. Section 936, I continue quoting, was repealed and phased out by 2006. As a result, Puerto Rico lost some extremely prominent and successful companies, moved their operations to foreign jurisdictions such as Ireland and Singapore. I love how many people here love to bring Singapore into the equation. Like everybody, every every time you want to bash into, you know, why we're doing so terrible, Singapore is the thing, you know, that everybody talks about. And the result, I'm going to continue with quoting, and the result was plant closer, closures and unemployment in Puerto Rico. We literally allowed American jobs to go foreign for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, right. Continue. What's worst, we sent the manufacturing of essential goods to foreign jurisdiction, which in times of crisis caused significant complications to our supply chain. The debate over 936 and its link to the Puerto Rico economy is always wrapped in political debate, and everyone blames everyone and anyone for the fact that it was repealed. Doesn't exist, shouldn't exist, wish it existed, and whether it was even beneficial to begin with. The fact of the matter? Puerto Rico's economy went on a downward spiral right around or closely before its repeal. She keeps forgetting that the only reason we actually lost jobs and the economy went down spiral after the repeal of Section 936 was because we actually depended 100% on Section 936 to maintain those jobs and to maintain those companies in Puerto Rico. We didn't do anything uh, from our part to actually, you know, at least make sure that they were going to stay, or at least some of them were going to stay. Um, not to mention that Section 936, I mean, we're going to see the God report later on, but we're going to see that actually it's a, it's a false. I mean, the, the economies and the jobs that they're saying that they created is actually not true. It's not even true whatsoever. I mean, yes, it created jobs. Yes, it moved uh, the economy, but it did not move the economy, and it did not create the jobs that they are um, claiming that it created. Anyway, let's continue. COVID-19 has shown the need for jurisdictions such as Puerto Rico to remain as manufacturing centers for productions that are not only necessary but essential to national security, health, and emergency management. The corporate welfare, as well as the anti-statehood arguments, are obnoxious, ridiculous, and dangerous. Those who call it corporate welfare just look at the quality jobs it creates. To those who think it's anti-statehood, just look at how undoubtedly American it would be right now to ensure that the products our people, the American people, need were manufactured in Puerto Rico. End of quote. In principles, I don't have a problem. I've said this many times. I don't have one single problem with bringing manufacturers into Puerto Rico, creating great jobs, if that's the case, and moving the economy forward. You know, I'm, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. My problem is that it is on a tax scheme that all this is constructed. And that is my problem. And then people like Teresita Fuente is going to say that, oh, I'm obnoxious. I'm ridiculous. And I am, uh, uh, what was she said? I am um, dangerous. Yeah, very dangerous. These comments that I'm saying are very dangerous. No, it's not. The problem is that the only thing that they can think of to bring jobs into Puerto Rico 
is using tax schemes and tax haven schemes to a particular sector. And my question would be, well, why do you want to give such special treatments to this section, to this sector in particular, and not the rest of Puerto Rico uh, economy? And then there's people are going to say, well, because um, they create jobs, because it's a big uh, sector of the economy, because it's more important than other sectors. And therefore, it, 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 it merits and it justifies the tax uh, provisions and the tax incentives that we're going to give them because obviously this manufacturing sector is, is huge. And the impact that it will have on the economy pretty much balances out what I'm going to be giving as a tax incentive. Well, I understand giving incentives to different sectors of the economy. That is done everywhere but when you create incentives like this that they're not taxed at all and they and 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 they're given deductions here and deductions at the federal level when they repatriate the income uh, when you create this system you are addressing the needs of one sector in particular and you're creating an ecosystem based on tax exemptions instead of actually improving business environment in Puerto Rico. You got to realize that a tax break, a tax incentive, uh, whatever you can think of, they could last as long as, in this case, Congress likes it to, to last. It could last five years, it could last 10 years, it could last 20 years, it could last 30 years. What you're doing when you're basing an economy on just tax breaks and you don't do anything at all, you know, around that, when you don't do nothing at all, you just Based on this, you are not planning ahead that for, for the fact of the matter that this will not last indefinitely. And we already know that. We, it happened with Section 936. It was repealed. She said, Teresita Fuentes said, oh, the, the economy went downward. Well, yes, it went downward because, of course, we, did not, not, we didn't do anything except rely on this damn section to create jobs. We didn't improve our general business environment. We didn't, we didn't do anything other than rely on the damn exemptions. And when the exemptions were gone, they were gone. So what's going to happen if we ask for another type of exemption section on the IRS code and it's granted? And then what happens if it only lasts 10 years? What happens if it only lasts five years? We don't know. Are we going to be prepared for another repealing? Because we need to be prepared. That's one, that's one part. We should be focusing more on lowering the cost of, 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 of running a business in Puerto Rico, for example. And when you do that, you don't only address the needs of a sector. You address the needs of every single business that is in Puerto Rico, including small businesses. Not just these big pharmaceuticals that have already a bunch of money, by the way. And I don't have a problem with them having money. That's, that's part of uh, capital, capitalism. I don't have a problem with that. But when you try to favor a sector that, is, that is, has so many advantages and you, and you want to give tax breaks and tax incentive to that, to that sector, but on the other hand, you are not addressing the needs of your local business and your small and medium enterprises here in Puerto Rico, 
and the entrepreneurs, when you don't address those businesses, you're falling short. You should be taking care of power cost. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, the cost of uh, electricity consumption. That kills businesses here. It's crazy the amount of the, the, the high level of costs that everybody has to bear, not only businesses, but, but personal and a personal level as well. Let's make the regulations easier. Let's make it so that people can establish and run a business with, you know, without all the burden and all the processes and, and all the things that they have to go through and all the, you know, the compliance aspects and waiting on this and waiting on that and this permit and that other permit. And, and then, you know, when you, when you, when you account for all those things, you just wasted a lot of money, a lot of time. And not only that, but when you have a tax code in Puerto Rico, a state code that is being changed every four years, every time the administration changes, or even worse, it changes every, it changes multiple times on a single administration. What does that, what does that create? It creates ambiguity. It creates a false sense of security. It doesn't, business owners, uh, entrepreneurs, people that want to establish a business in Puerto Rico, And they they see this, they see our tax code changing every damn four years. They say, hell no, I'm not going to invest in Puerto Rico because I, I, I know that things are this now, but I don't know about four years later. And I'm just, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to make this, you know, business investments here um, because I don't know how it's going to turn out. Those are the kind of things that we need to address. And there's multiple more. Generally speaking, if we generally speaking facilitate the creating businesses and running businesses in Puerto Rico and we lower their costs of operating a business, we lower their compliance costs of running a business. If we do all these things, if we look at them and we sit down and we say, you know what, we need to change this, this dynamics. This is does this does not work. It does not work for the local business owner, it doesn't work for anybody, it doesn't work for the manufacturing sector. These are not these are these are not incentives. This is why we have to rely on tax breaks, because obviously the the, the rest of the system does not work. It does not work for them. So in order for them to be a, in order for us to attract them, we have to rely on tax and tax breaks, tax incentives, and whatnot. Because there's no other way around us for bringing business here. But if we stop for a second and we address these things first and then we say you know what on we just address all this we we fix a b c d and now businesses are 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 are, are, are growing um you know the economy is moving and now and now only then we can say you know what Wish we could give. Let's let's analyze what what tax incentives we can give to X Y Z industry, because obviously you're gonna have to do that. That's you know it's part of it's part of uh, of how a, a, a government uh, incentivizes, of course, yes. But you cannot put this first and forget about the others. You have to improve the others first 
and then say, okay, now we can do this. And even if we lose these tax exemptions, even if they're phased out, that does not necessarily mean that we're going to lose all these jobs because we have a solid foundation, a solid business intelligent foundation that, that those companies could at least rely on, even if the tax exemptions are gone. But of course, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to admit that. They say, no, no, let's bring the, let's just do the tax exemptions because we got to, you know, we got to bring them fast and we they, they create great jobs. Well, let's look at what the, uh, the Gao report said or found out in 1993 about Section 936. Uh, but first, okay, back into the Gao report. Uh, the Gao report found uh, many, many things, right? Uh, and I'm going to quote. Gao found that, one, the impact of any change to Section 936 on, put on the Puerto Rican economy depends on how the, the change affects the demand for Puerto Rican resources, the firm's individual circumstances, and the specific tax. Two, the proposal to restrict Section 936 tax credits would alter the incentives for some current and potential Section 936 firms. Three, a wage credit cap on Section 936 tax credits would affect less than half of the Section 936 manufacturing firms analyzed. Four, most label-intensive Section 936 firms would not be affected by the revised tax credit. Five, the impact on Puerto Rico's economy of reducing Section 936 tax credits may not be proportional to the cost to the credits lost because they are not tied to the use of Puerto Rican resources. Six, the growth rate for Puerto Rico's gross domestic product indicated that an increasing portion of total income produced in Puerto Rico went to U.S. and foreign investors. Seven, from 1971 to 1991, 20 years, I add, unemployment in Puerto Rico remained high. Eight, five manufacturing industries accounted for 90% of the tax benefits received by Section 936 firms in 1985, 1987, and 1989, and ultimately, Section 936 manufacturing firms represented 11% of the total workforce. Significant debate, and I continue with the GAO report, continues over the effectiveness of Section 936 as an impetus for development in Puerto Rico. On one hand, the Puerto, Rico, the Puerto Rican economy has improved substantially in the post-World War II period by developing tax policies to complement the federal government's possession source income tax credit, Puerto Rico has attracted considerable manufacturing industry to the island. Propelled by this growth in the manufacturing sector, Puerto Rico's real gross national product has increased more than fourfold since 1947. On the other hand, by mainland U.S. standards, Puerto Rico remains a poor island. Puerto Rico's real average per capita income rose from $1,400 in 1947 to $6,000 in 1991, but it remained less than 30% of the U.S. average real per capita income, and its 1991 unemployment rate of 16% was more than double the mainland's unemployment rate of 6.6%. And of quote. So you can see here that they're still saying that we, even though there were significant improvements, we were still poor, poor by U.S. standards. So bringing all this 
manufacturing jobs and giving all these great tax exemptions didn't even though it did help uh and we're gonna see that it did not help by in its own there's other co- uh, contributing factors that aid in the economy moving forward and growing but we're gonna look at that a little bit later in the in the gal report but but even though it did that we still remain poor and quite frankly to this day we're, we're still poor into u.s standards so yeah let's continue with the with the gal report in 1989, Section 936 manufacturing corporations' benefits slightly exceeded the average compensation this section's 936 firms paid to their employees. Average tax benefits per employee were 24,300, while average wages paid, including estimated fringe benefits, were $22,800. For some industries, in particular, the chemical industry and its pharmaceutical component, average tax benefit considerably exceeded wages paid. The average tax benefits per chemical industry and employee were 69800 in 1989, and average compensation was 32900 Puerto Rico's unemployment rate was 16% in 1991 and has been above 11% since 1971. Undoubtedly, Section 936 and the exemption from Puerto Rican taxes attracted firms to Puerto Rico, but it it is also reasonable to assume that many of these firms would not have moved there or expanded to their present size without a mix of complementary investments by Puerto Rico, for example, adequate transportation, communication, and public utility facilities, as well as a skilled and productive workforce are needed to support business operations on the scale engaged in by Section 936 firms. The faster growth rate for Puerto Rico's GDP compared to GMP means that an increasing portion of total income produced in Puerto Rico went to U.S. and foreign investors than to Puerto Rican residents. The trends in GDP and GMP are the logical result of Puerto Rico's development strategy, which emphasizes long-term tax reduction to U.S. firms that locate in Puerto Rico and Section 936, which allows tax-free repatriation of profits to the mainland. These complementary tax policies are tied to income earned in Puerto Rico and not to investment in plant and equipment or job creation. Over time, these policies attracted industries to Puerto Rico that rely more on capital including intangible assets than labor for manufacturing goods. Because relatively little of the cost of manufacturing is paid in the form of wages and the capital is owned by non-Puerto Ricans, relatively little income from these industries is retained in Puerto Rico. Five manufacturing industries food and kindred products, chemicals, machinery, electrical and electronic equipment, and instruments and related products accounted for 90% of the tax benefits received by Section 936 firms in 1985, 1987, and 1989. The pharmaceuticals component of the chemicals industry received about 50% of the benefits in all those years. Per employee, Section 936 manufacturing firms receive an average tax benefit of $24,300 in 1989, slightly more than the average estimated employee compensation of $22,800. The average tax benefits differed widely among Section 936 industries. 
the apparel industry received the lowest benefit per employee, 2,100, and the chemical industry the highest, 69,800. The average tax benefits per employee declined from 1985 to 1989. This decline is principally attributable to the decline in federal tax rates for corporations. Now, this part that I'm going to talk is very interesting. Let's, let's look at this one from the Gao report. Over the 21-year period of the Section 936, the Puerto Rican economy gained a net 261,000 jobs. Only 27,000 or 10% were in the manufacturing sector. 103,000 or 39% of the jobs gained were in the service sector and 59,000 or 23% were in the trade sector. So this is very important because it shows that even though these this firms account for 90% of, of the tax breaks uh, that Section 936 are given, only 10% they only account for, they only accounted for back then for 10% of the total net jobs gain in the 21 year period that this section was in effect in Puerto Rico. Let's continue with the GAO report. Um, uh, and I quote, proponents of section 90, 936 point to employment multipliers as one of the benefits of section 936 corporations. Thus, they assert that, that for every direct job created by Section 936 corporations, additional indirect jobs are also created, which, which is not, I mean, it's, it's obviously true, of course, but let's continue. Notwithstanding the issues discussed in the letter relating to input-output employment multipliers and assuming all 20,007 jobs created in the manufacturing sector were Section 936 jobs, the Section 936 corporations can account for, directly and indirectly, no more than 30% of the net job growth in Puerto Rico over the 21-year period. Section 936 manufacturing firms can account for this portion of jobs only if the more generous multipliers sometimes claim, sometimes claim are used. However, since many of the indirect jobs created by Section 936 corporations may be in other Section 936 corporations or in the manufacturing sector, the 30% figure could include considerable double counting. And there you have it, folks. The conclusions by the Gao report on 1993 uh, are more than obvious. However, there is still debate uh, today about what the new provisions in the IRS code will be to actually incentivize the uh, the movement of the manufacturing sector and specifically the pharmaceutical sector back into Puerto Rico uh, and technically back into U.S. soil. So I mean, there's there's plenty of people talking about this. The resident commissioner has filed together with other five uh, uh, congressmen uh, legislation in order to provide incentives. Uh, under the you know the U.S. code, and the legislation is pretty much focused on distressed zones. So what they're trying to do is to incentivize manufacturers that are to be established in those specific zones that are uh, determined to be distressed zones. 
around the island and, and around the whole United States, of course. This is not something just for uh, Puerto Rico in itself, but also, you know, this is something that applies to the whole, the whole 50 states. The bill, this will be H.R. 6443, this bill provides for tax credits at the federal level for certain expenses incurred by these pharmaceutical industries, including salaries paid, investments, uh, or capital investments, I should say, purchases made to local uh, suppliers, and, and obviously uh, uh, small businesses as well. So this is just one of many ideas that could end up shaping how we're going to formulate and how we're going to be attracting these uh, pharmaceuticals back. Um, however, you know, what will happen at the end of the day is still unknown. How are we going to be doing this is still relatively unknown. This is just a little bit premature, but uh, definitely something is going to be coming up. But again, and just to conclude with this, uh, I really, sh I really believe we should be looking into the whole economic system here in Puerto Rico. We, uh, we need to improve the business environment for every single business in Puerto Rico, not just, not just pharmaceuticals or manufacturing sector. We need to look this uh, um, in a broader sense. Corporate tax rate or uh, the corporate tax rate in Puerto Rico is 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 incredibly high is 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 significantly higher than that of the uh, federal uh, tax so we definitely need to be looking into all these aspects of our economy and making sure that we build a solid foundation for everybody here in Puerto Rico and if we can do that and we can create all these other incentives like the one that the resident commissioner is, is bringing with this new bill, um, that would be great. That would be great and beneficial for everybody and everybody wins. So let's just, let's just try to make it work for everybody and not just for a particular sector under specific rules for that sector and leave everybody else uh, unattended and forgotten. Moving on, um, in the in Puerto Rico, the governor approved uh, multiple incentives, you know, to combat the economic implications of the COVID-19 and obviously our lockdown, uh, which entered in effect after, right after the first uh, number of cases, I think the first five cases that were reported here in the island, uh, the governor initiated a, a, a statewide uh, lockdown that lockdown has obviously been updated once so far and has been expanded upon. And there's been uh, multiple uh, arrangements uh, on different levels and, and different incentives. The total, the total incentives that she's given uh, amounts to $787 million uh, for the uh, local economy. Um, and, and there's a couple of things that I wanted to highlight about this. One is that they will continue to pay the salaries for public employees uh, during the emergency. They have extended the payment and the filing of income tax returns uh, all the way up to July 15. And this is consistent with what the IRS has done. And I, and I am happy that she, she did that. Uh, we were 
one of the things I was talking about um, to multiple people was that we need to be co- consistent with the with the federal regulation there. Um, it, it, this uh, doing otherwise creates confusion, uh, you know. Um, so it's it's better that everybody is is in line with the with the filing dates, uh, you know, in the, in the best in, as much as possible, right? Uh, another one is that the um, sales tax at the uh, on, on imports is basically suspended for three months. There will be no penalties for the non-compliance with the with the bi-weekly uh, filing and payment of the uh, sales tax. Uh, that's applicable for certain businesses here in Puerto Rico. Um, there's a there's a certain definition uh, of the businesses that this type of uh, payment is is applied to. Not everybody uh, applies, and most most people don't apply, uh, especially uh, small uh, business entities. They don't they don't have to do this. They have suspended for three months the retention of the ten percent of us uh, professional services, the, the withholding that they do for professional services. Uh, they have suspended that for three months. They are giving incentives to the municipalities. I am not sure whether this is going to be in line with something that will come later regarding uh, inventory uh, tax at the municipal level through uh, the CRIM. There's been numerous talks uh, here in Puerto Rico after Maria, before Maria, after Maria, and after the earthquakes, and and and, and right now they're they're talking about it too, the for eliminating the the inventory tax, which is a property tax, and I and I discussed this in another bit um, episode. Um, we we have a property tax that is applied to inventory that uh, you know companies and corporations have uh, throughout the year. Uh, it's not necessarily at a specific point in time. It's, it's inventory throughout the year. So I'm not sure if this incentive that they're giving to the municipalities has has or is or will have something to do with uh, an eventual future, let's say, uh, elimination or periodic suspension on inventory uh, tax. But we'll, we will see. There will be uh, $500 that will be given to persons working by themselves pretty much uh, uh you know professional services people that have their own businesses and, and they're working you know they're, they're not they're not on on a payroll so they're, they're gonna give 500 dollars uh of incentive to this and th- this is gonna be this, this is not automatic they have to request this through the uh hacienda web page there will also be 1500 dollars incentives to small and medium entities bonuses of 4000 and 2500 for nurses and health technicians $4000 for firefighters and police and others the governor has indicated that there will be no suspension in um, water and power services even if it's not being paid they're not being it's not clear to me if it's going to be a moratorium on this or whether it's not a moratorium but they're just really not going to suspend the service i think is the latter i think they're they're not giving people time to say well you know you know you don't have to pay me for the next two months i don't think they're saying that i think they're, they're just saying even if you don't pay me um i'm not going to uh, suspend the service and and that makes sense the incentives also include a 90-day moratorium on the payment of credit cards, mortgages, and so forth. This 
is not an automatic moratorium. You have to apply and you have to communicate yourself with the bank, with your, ba with your bank uh, or local financial institution, whether that's bank or, or a different kind of uh, institution like a cooperative or something. Um, you have to communicate with them. They have to lay out what are their provisions and how are they going to be working the moratorium. Uh, we have the experience back in Maria where some banks provided a moratorium, whereas you would not pay for the next two to three months, but then on the fourth month, you would have to pay all three months or all four months uh, together uh, as a balloon payment there. And there were other banks that just extended the life of the mortgage. So you don't have to, you know, you, you didn't have to pay all those months uh, in a single payment, but rather the mortgage uh, life was extended. So again, for this, everybody has to communicate with their own financial institutions and work with them on what they're offering, how they're offering uh, this uh, incentive but it is not automatic in any way. In, in Hurricane Maria, there was many, there was a lot of debate with this. Some financial institutions did it on an automatic basis um, and others didn't. So in this case, it's not automatic and that's very important for people to know. So these are all part of the uh, key points of the incentives that are provided locally. And that's very important for everybody to know and to look them up and, and be able to, uh, you know, request the, the necessary incentives that they need to uh, get in order to survive the, the lockdown. Uh, a lot of people are going to lose jobs. A lot of people are going to, a lot of businesses are probably going to suffer uh, from this. Many of us, like myself, which, you know, we are lucky to be able to work remotely. That's great. But a lot of people are not necessarily able to do that. So uh, there's there's going to be a furlough and there's going to be people that they're going to have to let go uh, and businesses are going to hurt. So it is important for everybody to actually make use of these incentives as quickly as possible and as efficient as possible. So this also, you know, comes in together with the uh, CARES Act, with, which was passed in Congress uh, and was signed by the President of the United States. So again, it is very important for everybody to look for those incentives as well. There's there's high chances that you could apply for incentives locally and incentives uh, at the federal level as well, including loans. So originally, I really wanted to provide a lot of details on the CARES Act uh, in this episode. However, I'm I'm, I'm running out of time. And I, I'm, what I'm, what I'm really doing is I'm going to be moving that specific topic of the specifics of the CARES Act to the next episode that we're going to be releasing. I just wanted for this episode to let everybody know that you have to be on the lookout for both incentives and, and reliefs. There's numerous incentives that, uh, through that, you know, that comes with, in play with the CARES Act, but again, I'm going to leave those for the next episode and we will be discussing those in more detail. Anyway, guys, this has been all for this episode. Hope to see you all in the next one. I'm Ivan Gonzalez and this is Inside the Colony. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Also, please tell your families, your friends, and everyone you know about this podcast and tell them to subscribe as well. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, 
and almost everywhere you listen to your own podcast. And if you want to support this podcast, you can also go to anchor.fm slash itc slash support. That is anchor.fm slash itc slash support. You can find a link of this in the description of our channel. Thank you very much and have a wonderful day.